Okay, well, I want to commend everybody for coming early on this Sunday morning to get an extra dose of the Bible at this Bible conference. Way to go. Uh, Unshakable. We are going through, we are taking a journey through the amazing book of Daniel. Incredible so far. Daniel chapter 1, describing who Daniel is and uh, this young man, really a captive slave from Judah into Babylon. And God is using him already at his young age. And uh, now we see him before the great King Nebuchadnezzar. But before we get into today's lesson, I want to describe a dream that I had once. And it's just about the only dream I think I can remember in my entire life. I just do not remember uh, dreams. Every now and then I'll wake up and remember, I, I, I did dream something last night, but I just do not remember what it was. But I got to say, this is an embarrassing dream, so um, I'm sure you'll have fun at my expense. But um, I was young, I was a child, and it happened when I was sick. I had a fever, and I'm not sure if my parents you know, gave me codeine or if I was just hallucinating from whatever. Uh, I do not know, but um, I, it, when I closed my eyes... Uh, I would close my eyes, I would begin to see this gigantic uh, pincushion. Okay, so you ladies who do sewing, you know, you have your little, those little red tomato pincushions, you know, I'm talking about. It looks like a little tomato, and you have the needles all the way stuck in it, all the way around. That thing was larger than a human being, and it was coming toward me. Coming around in my room, I closed my eyes, it was coming toward me, and it was going to attack me and kill me. And I would open my eyes, and it would be gone. And then I would close my eyes, and it would be coming towards me. That was the most fearful night I think I've ever had in my entire life. And, and uh, you know, the only time I ever even saw one of those pin cushions was at my grandma's house, because uh, she would sew, and that she would have that there. And so I'm not sure... You know, what's going on there? Listen, I, and I don't know if there's an interpretation in that. I was thinking about the, in relation to Daniel. You know, what, God, what, are you, what were you trying to tell me? But, um, but I do know this. Grandmas, if you're a grandma, be careful what creepy things you leave laying around, okay? <laughs> Them things are creepy. <clears throat> Your grandkids might just get traumatized. Be careful. But I do now have an irrational fear of pincushions, so just don't bring those around me. But the point is this morning that dreams can be very troubling, okay? The weirdest dreams, the strangest thing, you never would have guessed it. But man, oh man, those things can be troubling inside of you. Especially when God's trying to get your attention like he was King Nebuchadnezzar. The Bible very clearly says that Nebuchadnezzar was very troubled by this dream, Daniel chapter 2. And it's because it was a recurring dream. He was having it night after night after night and... And uh, he was trying to deal with it and understand it. Of course, dreams to them, especially back then, were a huge deal. And when nobody could preach to Nebuchadnezzar, no evangelist could get in there and talk to him, God had a way to speak to that man, the dictator of the world. God had a way to speak to him, and he did it through his dreams. So he, though, after this dream that he was having night after night, he wanted an interpretation. And we know Uh, He said he called all his wise men, astrologers, all the magicians in his court and said, listen, guys, I want you to give me the interpretation of my dream. And they said, tell us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. We'll uh, we'll go look at our astrological signs. 
we'll we'll read our books and and uh, get out get out all our stuff, all our magical things, and, and we'll tell you what it means. And he said, he said, uh, no, I ain't telling you what my dream is. I want the truth this time. I don't want I want don't want a bunch of wacko stuff. I will. Is if I know you can tell me the dream, then I know you're giving me the truth of the interpretation. And they said, it's impossible. There's no possible way that we could tell you the dream and the interpretation. We don't know what's going on inside your head. They said, no wise person has ever been asked to do that. That is completely impossible. And again, the Bible is setting it up. It's setting it up, setting the stage so that God can come in and be the hero. And everybody will know God does the impossible. And that's exactly what happened. He said, fine, if you guys can't do it, I'm going to kill y'all, including Daniel and all those guys. Daniel at this time was probably about 19 years old, a young man who just finished his training, Babylonian training. And, and uh, the guy comes to kill Daniel. He basically said, okay, hey, this is the deal. I'm the captain of the guard. You're going to go down with everybody else. And Daniel says, let's talk for just a second. <laughs> Give me a moment with the king. And he did. Went before the king, the king, and he said, "King, just please give me a mo- give me a time, just a quick time, and I'll I'll come back to you with the dream and the interpretation. And my God will do it." And sure enough, that's what happened. Daniel went home, and the first thing he does is he gives the situation to his friends, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he says, "Guys, it's time to pray. <laughs> this is an impossible situation. Pray, pray, pray." And in and because they prayed, God met the need. And gave Daniel the interpretation. He praised God after that. Before he even went to the king. He spent some time in praise. Thanking the Lord. He wasn't as worried about his own skin. He was worried about making sure God was praised and glorified. And so then he went to the king. And that's where we pick up the story this morning. But before we look at the interpretation of the dream. I want to review real quick what Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar. Leading up to the interpretation. And I especially want everybody to notice. That he doesn't take any credit for this miraculous feat that it's about to take place, that he's going to explain exactly what was in the head of Nebuchadnezzar. So real quick, start in verse 27. Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king hath demanded, cannot the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, the soothsayers show unto the king? Nobody can do it. Again, he's setting it up. But there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, And maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. That's important. This is something that's going to take place in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealeth secrets maketh known to thee what shall come to pass. But as for me... This secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any, any living. He was very clear. This is not me, king. This, this is not because I'm smart. But for their sakes, that shall make known the interpretation to the king. I want everybody to know this. That's why God's making this known. And that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. So he's very clearly saying it's not me. He clarifies several times that... Uh, times that this is God, not Daniel, who's revealing the secrets. And by this time, I bet you Nebuchadnezzar had to be on the edge of his seat because with the next words, he's going to find out if Daniel truly knows, if he truly did get it right. 
if he does know the dream. <clears throat> and so here is verse 31. Thou king, thou O king, sawest, sawest and behold a great image or an idol or statue. This great image whose brightness was excellent or abundant stood before thee and the form thereof was terrible or dreadful or frightening. So imagine King's Nebu- King Nebuchadnezzar's face right now at the moment, if you will. Think about it. He's listening to Daniel, and Daniel just describes the image, an image that he saw that was bright and terrible, frightening. And this 19-year-old Jewish slave, Nebuchadnezzar is looking at, knew exactly, he could read his mind, he knew exactly what was going on in that dream. I, I bet you Nebuchadnezzar already kind of had to pick his chin off the floor. The dream was probably racing through his head as he was listening to Daniel begin to talk, and he was finally going to get some answers about this dream. He, he kept seeing this night after night. Finally, he's going to get to the bottom of it. Verse 32. This image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. And we'll look at this closely in just a moment. Thou sawest till, uh, till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces or shattered together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them, and the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. So here's the dream. I hope you caught it. There's a, here's a little, little artistry for that. A statue with a head of gold chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, and feet of iron mixed with clay. A stone, the dream shows, the stone comes out of nowhere. It's a stone not made with hands, uh, cut out not with hands, and it's, it comes out of nowhere and strikes the feet and the legs. And this completely then destroys the whole image, the whole statue. The statue comes crumbling down, but not just crumbling, it shatters. It shatters so much that it becomes like chaffed in the wind and just it becomes dust and just blows away. And then that stone becomes a mighty mountain and grows uh, and fills the entire earth. That's the dream. So now if you're thinking, if you're trying to put yourself in Nebuchadnezzar, this, uh, this great dictator's brain... You could see maybe why Nebuchadnezzar was waking up in night sweats every single night. Imagine seeing a statue like this uh, shattered into dust every single night in your dreams. He had to be thinking, this is not good. (laughs) This is not good. But Nebuchadnezzar in this moment was all ears. He wanted to know the meaning. I want to know the meaning. Good or bad, just give me the truth. And again, I I see an honest uh, unbeliever there. Just give me the truth. I want to know the real deal. So Daniel starts in on the interpretation. Verse 37. Thou, O king, art a king of kings. For the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power and strength and glory. 
And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler of them all. Thou art this head of gold. So here is a picture that kind of giving us the meaning of each of uh, the, the areas of this statue, this image. Nebuchadnezzar was so powerful as a king himself, he was synonymous with the kingdom of Babylon. He is the only king that's mentioned in all of this. All the others are just called kingdoms. But in the head, Daniel says, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head. You're the head of gold. This man, Nebuchadnezzar, had some serious power. The kingdom, uh, his kingdom there was represented by gold, and that's the most valuable of all the metals here in this entire statue. Nebuchadnezzar's reign began in 605 B.C. It lasted 43 years until a little after he died, 20 years later, after several other Babylonian kings, uh, Babylon fell to the Medo-Persians in 539 B.C. And that's exactly what Daniel prophesies next. Look at verse 39. And after thee, Nebuchadnezzar, shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule all over the earth. So the Medo-Persian Empire was inferior to the Babylonians, but not in size. It's not what that means, because it was larger than Babylon. The meaning is probably that it was inferior in quality. And certainly, as we go down the list, uh, the statue downgrading the metals as time goes shows really the moral deterioration of each of these world powers. The Medo-Persian Empire represented the, represented the two divisions. It was quite large, but it, and notice it has the arms, the left arm and the right arm. That probably represented those two divisions of power, Media or the Medes and the Persians. The third kingdom, as it says in that passage, was of, made of brass, represented by brass. That's the Greek Empire. Came along after the Persians, Alexander the Great. He was coming through, storming through, conquering every known land, and he established his in 331 B.C. The Alexander the Great, the Greek Empire, was larger than the other empires. And then the fourth kingdom. The fourth kingdom shall be... Strong as iron, Daniel said. For as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. And as iron that breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. So the fourth kingdom is represented by the kingdom uh, of ancient Rome. And uh, the iron represents the strength of Rome. It's it's, a long-lasting rule. It was the longest of all these other rules, 500 years uh, ancient Rome lasted. The two legs seem to represent the east and west division of Rome. And it's amazing how God is giving such clarity in all of this dream for the future of what would happen. Then it moves to the feet and the toes, which we believe represents something that's still to come. Something in the future. Verse 41. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes, part of potter's clay and part of iron the kingdom shall be divided but there shall be in it of the strength of the iron for as much as thou sawest the iron mixed with miry clay and as the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay so the kingdom shall be partly strong 
and partly broken. And whereas thou sawest iron mixed with miry clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. What is this talking about? The feet of iron and clay, and opinions differ on this. The feet and toes, some say it's uh, uh, Europe's history and, and uh, kind of some of their kingdoms that, came and, uh, that rose up. Some say that ancient Rome divided into ten, uh, ten divisions after the, con- the Christianity conquered them. Uh, but anyway, our, our belief, though, however, is, and I think it's must, much better supported if you read all of Scripture and put it all together, and that is that it is a future revived Roman Empire. So here's the deal. We know that the book of Revelation speaks of the Antichrist. The Antichrist comes in and, he, and ten nations rise up, just like those toes in this, in this dream. These ten nations will rise up during the time of the tribulation to make war with God's kingdom. We also know that Christ comes and defeats the, those forces of the Antichrist and sets up his kingdom on earth. And that is represented in this rock or this stone that comes out of nowhere and strikes the feet. Let me show you some passages. Let me show you passages in Revelation here. Revelation 17, starting in verse 12. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast or the Antichrist. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb. That is Jesus, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. So this dream that Nebuchadnezzar sees with this stone coming out of nowhere and striking those ten toes in Daniel chapter 2 fits very nicely with what we see right here in, in Revelation chapter 17. The lamb shall overcome them. The rock is going to come and strike these ten kings, these ten rulers. The point is that the world's kingdoms, the earth's, the, the world comes up with these kingdoms in the end, and they are going to fight against Jesus, but they will lose. And every kingdom of man will lose against God. But what Daniel says next also fits very good in Revelation and kind of wraps this whole thing up. And in the days of these kings, now pay attention to what he said there. So he's talking to Nebuchadnezzar and he says, Now, now Nebuchadnezzar, went, the stone that comes and hit the toes, in the days of those kings, those feet kings, those ten, not the earlier ones, but in the days of those, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. So notice that God's future kingdom will not rule alongside other human kingdoms. It's going to completely destroy all human kingdoms first. And then God will set up his kingdom. And it says here at the very end of this verse, it will stand forever. I want everybody just to... We, ought, we need to get this in our head. There will never be a day that the citizens of God's kingdom will not re- live under the rule and the presence of their king. When someday when we're in heaven, when we're living under the kingdom of God, there, is, there will never be, it will stand forever. There will never be a day that the enemy can come in and steal that from us. It shall never be destroyed. It shall stand forever, it says here. 
Now, I want you to think real quick. Imagine how encouraging these words must have meant to those scattered Jews who were reading this from Daniel, who would read this. Thinking about, you know, we've been taking, we've been taking captive several times here in Judah. Babylon came in and just completely destroyed Jerusalem. And then for them to be able to read this and think, never again, when we live in God's kingdom someday, never again will anybody come in and raid my home and drag dad out of the house. Never again do I have to worry about an enemy coming in and taking everything we own and destroying God's house. Never again do we have to worry about that. That's a great promise. Amen. And it's the same for any of us who put our trust in Jesus. See, when we think about our salvation, we think, man, it's so great to be saved. But the very moment a person becomes a Christian, the very moment we accept the blood of Jesus that covers our sins, we become a citizen of a new kingdom. And that kingdom, Jesus says, I give you eternal life. Eternal life. Some today, some Christians even, are worried about losing their eternal life. But if we could lose it here, and I want everybody to think about this, if we could lose our eternal life here, then what would be keeping us from losing it there? It's the same promise here as it is there, eternal life. No, if Jesus says you have eternal life, if you accept me, I'll give you everlasting life. If Jesus says that, then you have it the moment that he says it. It is eternal from that moment on. It shall stand forever. There is not, there will be, there will not be a day where that citizen ever has to worry about losing his home in the kingdom of God. And notice the part of the dream that makes it clear to Nebuchadnezzar that God is the one directing this whole thing and directing history in general. Verse 45. For as much as thou sawest, King Nebuchadnezzar, that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands. No person did this. No hands. God doesn't have hands. Did you know that? God doesn't actually have hands. God speaks and it happens. He, and that it break in pieces the iron, the brass, the clay, the silver, and the gold. The great God hath made known to the king what shall come to pass hereafter. And the dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure. Meaning it's going to happen. It is, this is going to happen. This is not some little... A uh, little thing we're, we're, we're talking about here. This is, a, this is the real deal. The stone represents Christ. The stone represents Christ and his kingdom. And, and it's a, a rock that breaks all of the earthly kingdoms. It's a supernatural act. It's a stone not made with hands. God himself, the whole point is God himself is behind the events of this world. Nebuchadnezzar's dream is really... Uh, a pre-written script of human history. We're living right now, you and I, we're living in the feet. <laughs> we're living in the feet of history. And it smells like it sometimes, amen? <laughs> At any moment, this could all be done. And the stone could come crashing in. At any moment, we could be with Jesus. This is the good news. God wanted Daniel to write this. Write this down, Daniel. Put it down. I gave the... The dream to Nebuchadnezzar, but you have the interpretation, and I want you to write it plain, and I want everybody to know it. So every reader in every era, no matter what, what part of history you happen to fall in, you'll know whose side you better be on, because that rock is going to come, 
And you need to be on the right side. And look at Neb's response. Verse 46. (laughs) Then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, fell upon his face and worshipped Daniel (laughs) and commanded that they should offer an oblation and sweet odors unto him. Now, this is a very expected way for a a pagan Eastern monarch to react uh, in this situation. And I'm sure Daniel despised every moment of this. Don't worship me. But he was just kind of, Nebuchadnezzar was talking and he was just letting things play out. And as we saw earlier, as I mentioned at the very beginning there, he was very clear at the beginning to tell Nebuchadnezzar, it is not me. It is not me. Because he knew that Nebuchadnezzar would do this. But you can, you can say what you want to the most powerful man in the world. It's pretty tough when he's at your feet talking. Verse 47, And the king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldest reveal this secret. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is definitely moving closer to the Lord. He acknowledges that Daniel's God is greater and wiser than his gods. But it's important to, to read in the line, between the lines here and realize that what Nebuchadnezzar didn't say. He was definitely wrapped up in the moment and he was impressed by what he just heard from Daniel, but he falls short of full repentance, really. You know, it would have been good to see him start asking Daniel, Daniel, tell me more about what God is saying about the future, about what's going to happen. Daniel, uh, tell me more about this God of yours that I, need to, that I need to humble myself before, who could do such things. Now, how many people that, that you and I know who are in the same boat with Jesus? They're impressed by Jesus, impressed with some of the things that God has done, but they're not ready to repent. We think sometimes that if people would see, if they would only see a miraculous sign, they would give their lives to Jesus on the spot. But that's not how it works. And Nebuchadnezzar just saw this great feat of strength by God, but he still fell a little short of full repentance. And most people are just caught up in the here and now and the impressiveness of what's happening in the moment. All of us, all of us have to come to a place of complete humility before the Lord, before uh, a change can happen. But Nebuchadnezzar was certainly amazed, and so he does what he promised, and he poured out gifts on uh, Daniel. He had promised, whoever can tell me this interpretation, I'll give you gifts and rewards. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief governors over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel wisely here requested of the king and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. This moment put young Daniel, this 19-year-old man, and his friends on the map. It's amazing how this young man was so spiritually ready for this moment. He was ready because the moment that that came and that and that captain of the guard came around the corner and said, Daniel, it's time for you to die. He was ready at that moment to do the, take the next step. He had been with the Lord. He was spiritually ready. What a great lesson for all of us to be spiritually ready for whatever may come around the corner. Now, I want to give just a couple quick, quick, clear truths that emerge from this dream. And you can write them down on the, the notes there that you have, but clear truths from a mysterious dream. Number one, I think it's very clear what we see, the weakness of human kingdoms. While we live here on this earth, 
let's, let's admit that it's, it is hard sometimes. Our tendency is to see human kingdoms as so big, so powerful, so unchangeable, and so unstoppable. We might look at America and think, this nation is the greatest superpower the world has ever seen. But let's remind ourselves what Daniel made clear to Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man at the time. And that is, thou... Uh, I don't have it here, sorry. Verse 37, if you want to go back. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom. And then he said, God hath made thee ruler. God hath given thee this into the hand, verse 38. Daniel was making clear to Nebuchadnezzar that his power was not of his own strength. It was given to him by a God he didn't even know and he didn't understand. And Daniel was also very clear with Nebuchadnezzar this. Your power is not going to last forever. And after thee, verse 39, after thee shall rise another kingdom. After thee shall rise another kingdom. Kings and kingdoms, nations and superpowers, presidents and prime ministers, they come and go. And they will continue to come and go. They seem powerful during their moment. They seem like this is everything. Everything. But then they enter the history book and they're never heard of again. You know, think about the hopelessness real quick of being a Jew under Nazi rule. They probably thought it was never going to end. This was going to take over the world. Certainly the Nazis did. But Adolf Hitler is, was soon just another hated man in the history books. So pay attention to this dream, Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel's telling Nebuchadnezzar, pay attention. You are not the Almighty. God gave this to you. He's giving you this, this moment. You might be a gold head, but you're still a mortal human being. And where you will spend eternity after you die is much more important than what's going on right now. But but God's people need to pay attention to this dream as well. Not just Nebuchadnezzar, not just our American leaders, but us. Uh, You know, this world changes empires and changes leaders like it's changing clothes. So here's the lesson for us. Don't fall in love with this world. It's temporary. And don't, and don't swing the other way. Don't fall in love with it and be enamored by it. But then don't swing the other way and think it's so bad that get that if only mindset. If only Babylon weren't in charge, the Jews might have been thinking, then we would be happy. If only Donald Trump would have remained president, everything would be better. If only we had a Republican Congress, then everything would be so much better. Those things are not our answer, ever. And think about what this dream meant to the captive Jews. If they're thinking, once Babylon is gone, once Babylon's gone, that's the gold head. Oh, then we have to deal with the Medes and the Persians. Oh, oh, and then we have to deal with the Greeks. Oh, once the Greeks are gone, then we have to deal with the Romans. That's the same thing is going to be here. There's always going to be another world power. There's always going to be somebody we have to deal with. Our primary focus cannot be on the earth's kingdoms. It's just another one. And we have to get our peace uh, from, from the God, from his kingdom. And what's happening there? Because whatever happening in the kingdom of men makes not a hill of beans to what's happening in the kingdom of God. Amen. And there is a further lesson about the weakness of man's kingdom in the feet. The, the feet were made with iron and clay. The clay there refers to that hard, brittle clay like pottery. 
And that's just such a clear depiction of the kingdoms of men, isn't it? Brittle. They seem strong. They're mixed with iron. At times they seem so strong. But it's just clay. It's fragile. And the gradual decline of these metals and all the way down to clay tells us, that, tells us something about human history. It's getting worse. And it degenerates, it declines, and it gets worse over time. And don't expect things to get better with mankind. Some might say, well, that's a miserable way to look at life. What a horrible, pessimistic attitude. But it's not miserable. And I'll tell you why. Because we have a true view of the end. Our fo- because our focus isn't even on that stuff. We, we just understand that that's the truth. And we know whose side we're on. See, a true optimistic look of life can only come from knowing that there is an indestructible kingdom that I'm already a part of that's coming, and I'm already just in it. And so there's where all my joy and peace comes from. I heard a song, heard the song, uh, Don't Worry, Be Happy, recently. You may have heard that song? Sing it to us. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, but here's my thought. Actually, we were listening to it, and I... It came on in the car, some of the kids were there, and we were having fun with it. But it, here's, here's what I realized. I started thinking, what philosophical basis does this man have for telling me not to worry and be happy? On what basis can I be happy? Because if I'm just looking at this world like he is, obviously, then it seems to me like I'm just looking around at one failing nation after another, one problem after another where is the basis for thinking that everything's going to be okay in my life well that's see to me that's a miserable way to live not having any true basis for happiness but as a child of god who is king uh god who is king of an actual forever kingdom that is going to reign forever and will destroy the world's kingdoms when he says all things work together for good to those who love me and are called according to my purpose. Then I can say, ah, don't worry, be happy. (laughs) Don't worry, be happy. And the second clear lesson in this whole mysterious dream is this, the strength of God's kingdom. Real simple. I'm trying this morning to help us get our minds on the kingdom of God. Jesus talked about that. This passage describes Christ's eternal kingdom as a stone that comes out of nowhere, wipes out the statue, and everyone underestimated that little stone, but it comes and grows into a giant mountain that covers the whole earth. That is exactly what's going to happen in the end as God sets up his kingdom. And it is a sure thing, Daniel says. It's a sure thing. It's going to happen. The Roman and the Christian-hating emperor Julian, this is back in 332 AD, he was in a war with the Persians, and while he was on his expedition, one of his followers mockingly asked a Christian in Antioch, he said, hey, what's the carpenter's son doing? What's the carpenter's son doing right now while our king is driving through and conquering? Here's what the Christian said to him. The maker of the world, whom you call the carpenter's son, is employed in making a coffin for the emperor. (laughs) And within days, Julian was dead. The emperor Julian. 
And that's really what it's all about, isn't it? Daniel chapter 2 here. Jesus has a coffin for every emperor and every king and every president. The only true security that we have is in the kingdom of the carpenter's son. I have my citizenship papers. (laughs) By faith, placing my trust in Jesus Christ, I am a citizen of that kingdom and I will be there forever. And let's keep our minds on that city. Not on, not on the gold and the brass and the, the clay and the iron of today. Father, we love you. Lord, your kingdom will last forever. Help us to keep our eyes on that kingdom and know we're a part of it, Lord. And Lord, live like it. Thank you, Jesus, for the victory that comes in you. Amen. 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 Thank you, everybody. You're dismissed. You